Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. going to continue going through uh, the book of John. Uh, we're not, well, John chapter 1 is really specifically what we're looking, looking at. And I, and I read this passage of Scripture preparing for this day, um, thinking about what the Lord wanted to say. And I kept thinking, I kept coming back to um, Christmas gifts. Now, because I, put to, I think it was because I was putting together a letter to all of our staff about the gift, the small gift that they were receiving uh, from the ministry, and just sharing with our staff the reason that we actually uh, give and receive gifts on Christmas. If you look back at the history of why that's even a thing on existence, or why that is even a thing that's in existence, is because it remembers and celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ in the gift that God gave of him himself and Jesus to the entire world. And so to celebrate that or to memorialize that, one of the things that came about at Christmas time when they chose the, the, the December 25th to celebrate the birth of Christ was the giving and receiving of gifts. And it wasn't uh, something that they just did because people needed gifts. It was to actually remember to memorialize the gift that Jesus was to the world. And so we do that, and when we give gifts and receive gifts, it really celebrates the gift of Jesus and the gift that God has given to each one of us. And so I was reading this passage of Scripture thinking about that, and um, as um, we were flipping through the channels one day two weeks ago, there was this Christmas movie on that I absolutely hate. One, I have to tell you, I'm not a movie person. Only because if I sit still for very long, I don't stay awake. I don't know, gentlemen, if there's any of you that are that way. Uh, especially if I go to the movies. Uh, unless it's something that I'm really captivated by. And it takes a good movie for that to be the, to be the case. If you put me in a dark room uh, and turn out the lights, and I don't care how loud it is, I'm going to take a little nap. Uh, and I don't think that there are a lot of good Christmas movies I've only found one or two good Christmas movies that really captivate me. But my wife loves one Christmas movie that she could quote all of the lines, and she's back in children's church this morning. I wish that she would be in there this morning uh, because I'm talking about this movie uh, that is one of her favorite movies, A Christmas Story. Do any of you love this, this movie, The Christmas Story, uh, about little Ralphie? Oh, I hate this movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, if by some blessing of God you've missed it, don't go watch it. It's not even worth watching. Um, but if you remember the story of the Christmas story, uh, the movie, uh, there's this little boy, uh, Ralphie, they call little Ralphie. And the premise of the movie in A Christmas Story is he wants a Red Rider BB gun, right? And so he asks his mom for a Red Rider BB gun. And mom says no because what will he do? He'll shoot his eye out. That's absolutely correct. So you know what I bought Melissa three years ago? A Red Rider BB gun. 
the carbine action BB gun. So they came out with, not because I wanted her to shoot her eye out, but because that was her favorite movie. She loved it, and she was so excited, and the girls uh, could not wait to see their mom open up this uh, Red Ryder BB gun on Christmas morning. It was a, it was a neat thing, or I think we did it Christmas Eve. Uh, but it was just a neat thing, and we were so excited about that. But the premise of the movie is, is Ralphie wants the gun. He asks his mom. His mom says no. But interestingly enough, Ralphie doesn't just take no uh, for an answer. What he does is he spends that Christmas season in preparation for this gun that he actually wants, thinking that he is going to actually get this gun despite his mom actually saying no. And Ralph was excited. Ralphie was excited because he was trying to figure out a way for him to get this BB gun so that he could live a life uh, being the talk, of the, uh, talk of all the boys in the school. So as I read this passage of Scripture, I was reading it with anticipation of gifts. And as I was thinking about uh, what we're going to read today in John, I kind of homed in on a couple of different gifts, and I want to point out these gifts. I usually don't uh, make specific points as I go through a sermon. Um, I just share with you uh, kind of what I feel the Lord is laying on my heart. But this morning, I'm going to focus on, uh, I intended to focus on two gifts, but as I read this passage, uh, I really discovered an amazing nugget at the end, which I think is the third gift. So we're going to read in 1 John. We're going to skip around into two different passages, but we're going to start reading. I'm sorry, not 1 John. It's John chapter 1. We're going to start reading in John chapter 1, verse 9. John writes, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So here again, if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we focus on this, this talks about Jesus always being in existence. He was there before the foundation of the world. Everything was actually made through Jesus because God is God. Uh, and sometimes we try to compartmentalize God, which you can't really do. God is God, and he has shared himself, revealed himself in three unique different ways, one of which we experience today, which is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so John is reminding us again here in verse 9 that Jesus is God. He's always been in existence, and he has come, and God has revealed himself in this way, putting on flesh to actually bring light into the darkness of the world. In verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And if you'll turn with me over to verse 29. So we'll fast forward towards the, uh, towards the last third here of John chapter 1. John continues writing. We're fast forwarding a little bit. So Jesus is beginning or preparing to begin his earthly ministry here. And so whenever John was writing that Jesus was coming into the world, God wrapping himself in the flesh, there John was actually celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And so now we're fast forwarding a little over three decades and this is what John has actually recorded for us in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. Now, Jesus is a grown man at this point. He's grown. He's coming towards John. And this is what John says. Look, the Lamb of God. 
Another translation says what I, the way that I actually like to hear this passage, John says, behold, behold has a little more power to it, I think, than just look. But John says, look, or behold, it's the Lamb of God. And this is an amazing passage that John is revealing who it was that was actually coming now to prepare to be baptized. That Jesus had lived his life almost completely anonymous up until this point. And here John is proclaiming the one who is coming to make that light receivable to every single one of us. And John is announcing it for the first time and saying, Behold, or look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In verse 30, This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God." Thinking back to that beginning passage of Scripture from verse 9 through verse 13 that I actually read, one of the things that John, the disciple, actually pointed out for us here was that God came into the world to give us a specific gift, a gift that was very specific to all of mankind. It wasn't intended for any other part of creation, but it was intended specifically for man, the descendants of Adam and Eve that God was actually with in the garden. And because sin had entered into the relationship of man and separated man from God, then God wanted to fix this. God needed to address it, and he needed to actually come and pay the one final price so that this that John is actually testifying of would actually become possible in all of our lives. At the end, it says in verse 12, Yet to all who received him... To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Imagine that announcement from John's writing here that he is actually testifying to. When he's now after Jesus, when John was writing this, it was after Jesus had already been crucified. He had been buried, and he arose, and then he ascended to the Father. And so John is writing this, summarizing Jesus' life. John the disciple is writing this. And he says to those, whenever he's testifying about Jesus, God came in the flesh as Jesus Christ so that we would receive the gift of being able to be called children of God. So imagine what it was like whenever those who were now reading this passage of Scripture, and even for us reading this passage of Scripture today, put those words together that says children of God. Children of God. Adoption. Being given an inheritance. Because now we are not alienated from God. But instead God had made the way in coming in Jesus Christ. So that we would be adopted and actually become his own children. So that we would receive the inheritance that he actually intended for us to have. And so Jesus has come 
to give us this amazing gift of an adoption that we would actually be called God's children, that we would be given this gift of a relationship with God. The way that I, I think about this sometimes, uh, because over the last uh, few years, if you think about what's happened in England, uh, when there's been a change uh, with the queen's passing, and now there is a king, and then uh, the princes were elevated, and then there is all of the drama that's involved with uh, one of the princes, who I think now was a former prince, or I, I don't know how all of that's taking place, but if you, if you think about this, there is not one of us that could go to England and go to the king's palace and be able to walk into the gates and say, I'm here for my inheritance. I'm here to actually receive what I rightly do not have a claim to. Because there's none of us, as, as far as I know, some of you may be, but I don't think there's any of us that have any claim to the lineage of the king of England. And so there is nothing that the king owns, the billions and the billions and the jewels and the, the, the property and, and the palaces and, and, and the right to rule and make the, none of that, any of us have any right to make any claim to that. But it would be as if the king comes to us and the king says, you do not belong to me and you have no right to anything that I own. However, I am going to adopt you, and I am going to give you a full inheritance so that everything that I have now will be actually provided to you. And so you are being grafted and pulled into what the king actually owns. That would be a joyous day, right? Because we're talking billions upon billions upon billions that the king actually owns. And if you look at what they refer to as the lower shacks that some of the uh, uh, distant descendants get to live in, much better than anything that any of us actually, actually get to live in. And so the, diff or the, the amazing thing here is what God has done for us in relationship if we played that out in the physical, it would be just like the king coming to us, the king of England coming to us and say, hey, I'm going to adopt you and I'm going to give you everything that actually belongs to me. This is what God has actually done for us. In the way that sin separated Adam and Eve from God, God has come to give us the gift of an adoption so that we would actually be able to be called his children. And I promise you the riches that God has, God has is much, much greater than any earthly king has ever had or will ever had all combined together. And so when John the disciple is writing here, we have been given the privilege of being called the children of God. He is referencing the adoption that God has given to each and every one of us. And so if we think back about the movie The Christmas Story, there's an interesting twist that takes place in this movie The Christmas Story. Ralphie was begging mom for the gun. Mom was never going to give Ralphie the gun, but Ralphie then began to prepare for the gun. He never asked his dad for the gun, but the dad actually knew that Ralphie wanted the gun. The dad goes out and Ralphie actually does receive the gun. He gets the gift. He, he is given a gift by his actually father, by his actual father. The father knew what he actually needed before the son ever even asked him for it and, God, and the father actually provided. And this is the way that God has done for each and every one of us. 
He knew what we needed in relationship, in adoption, in the right to be called his children, and giving us that relationship before we ever even knew ourselves. And he made preparations for that to be possible for every single one of us. Luke 11, verse 11 through 13 says this, What father among you, Jesus sharing this, what father among you, if his son asks for a gift, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And this is where Jesus was actually making preparation, not just to adopt us, but then to infill us so that he would always be present with every single one of us. God made possible the gift of adoption, of us actually becoming his children through his arrival that we celebrate at Christmas. But then, interesting, in this second passage that we read from John, starting in John chapter um, 1, verse 29, you see what God continues to do and the work that God actually continues to do. So in this passage of Scripture, we start reading here of the announcement of who Jesus actually was. The John we read about here is actually John the Baptist, who's announcing Jesus as the Lamb of God. And in this, God has made his intentions clear in verse 29. I want to put it up on the screen with you, uh, for you to see, and I want you to look at it here on the screen with me. You've got it in your Bible, which is great, but I just want to focus on this this morning together looking at the screen because I want to show you two things in this that just is mind-boggling if we think about them. Here, uh, the next day, John, this is John the Baptist, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look or behold the Lamb of God. An amazing announcement that John the Baptist has done here. Look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so I'm going to color two parts of this because I want you to catch what actually the power of what John is actually saying. The first part, it says the Lamb of God. Look or behold the Lamb of God. Whenever John the Baptist is making this pronouncement, when Jesus is making his way down, John is actually making reference back to the Lamb of God, back to whenever God actually provided a sacrificial lamb, and Abraham did not have to sacrifice his own son. That's the power of these words that are actually coupled together. When God provided a lamb for the sacrifice so that Abraham's own son would not have to give his life in sacrifice, God stepped in and provided the lamb. And what John is saying here, really, in these words coupled together, the lamb of God, the sacrifice of God in the flesh coming to make that adoption possible for us. John the disciple had already proclaimed who Jesus was. He's always been in existence. He has forever been here, even before the foundations of the world. He was there when things were made. He was there whenever sin entered into the relationship between man and God and separated. And then that preparation for him to actually come, Jesus was there with God through all of that. But now Jesus is here on the earth, visible, God wrapped in flesh. And John says, here is the sacrifice 
that is possible for us to now have a relationship with God, for God to actually be among us all the time so that his initial plan for his relationship with mankind could actually be fulfilled here on this earth. And so John says, the Lamb of God, these were words that could have been used against John the, uh, John the Baptist to saying, hey, this is God in the flesh. They could have killed John for actually uh, speaking out against the Word of God and all of the prophets. But John was making that proclamation saying, look, it's the Lamb of God. It's the sacrifice that every single one of us actually need. And then he goes a step further in describing God's actual intention. It's the Lamb of God, the sacrifice that makes adoption possible, who takes away the sin of the world. God has made his intention clear. John the Baptist pronounced his intention, God's intention, whenever he saw Jesus actually coming down towards the crowds, that God loves you, that God loves you. And if you know nothing else this Christmas season, you have to hear from the Scripture that God loves you. I encourage you to write this down so that it speaks direct to you. Write, God loves me. Because what you will experience in this world is a lot of selfishness that pours out shame upon each and every one of us. It comes direct from the enemy. And you need to know that God loves you. And despite the junk and despite the sin and despite the messes of this world, God's plan for you has never changed because he loves you. So write this down. Get it deep in your soul. Get it into the depths of your mind so that when the enemy comes and he's lying to you, you can say, no, 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 no. God loves me. And go a step further with this. Because of God's love for me, he will never do anything to harm me. He will never do anything to harm you. When John said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, this was the next step in that. God loves you. God loves you, and he will never do anything to harm you. And we think, well, why is this taking place in my life? Why am I having this struggle? Or why am I going through this? And listen, I can't give you the answers for each one of those things, but I know who can give you the answers. And that is the one that loves you and the one that would never do anything to harm you. I promise you, if there's anything in your life that you feel is harming you, it, it, and if it is harming you, and if it is an attempt to, to do the work of the enemy, which is to steal, to kill, and destroy, then it is work direct from the enemy. God would never do anything to harm you because he loves you. But sometimes we take the stuff that we're going through and we receive it as harm. Sometimes what God is doing in your life is not to harm you. It is for your good. The promise of all of the scripture, we hone in on Romans 8 and we, we use that one passage there in Romans chapter 8. But the entirety of the scripture is that God would never do anything to harm you. Why? If God wanted to harm you, would John proclaim, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and we know how Jesus took away the sin of the world. He died a brutal death on the cross. 
He was whipped. He was beaten. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a spear in his side, and he died this excruciating death. He took the harm so that we would not have to be harmed. And this is the message. This is the gift of Christmas that we celebrate at Christmas, that God came in the flesh as the sacrificial lamb for us because he loved us and the harm that the world intends to bring us, he took up on his own shoulders. This is the amazing gift of God that we celebrate, that we have the opportunity to have a loving relationship with God Almighty. But I want you to think about ways that the enemy attacks for just a second. Think about ways that the enemy attacks. I'll tell you, the number one way that the enemy attacks is in relationships. He attacks in relationships. I think it really started in the Garden of Eden, right? The first disagreement there that actually came up. Adam, whenever he's called out for his sin, he's blaming Eve. Eve's blaming the servant. There's all of this relationship trouble and drama that's actually playing out there. And then all of this harm and all of this hurt that came in that moment because of the work of the enemy. Well, how did the enemy attack? He attacked in relationships, specifically there in the family. And the way that the enemy continues to attack, he's not creative. He's not thoughtful. He just does the same thing over and over and over because he can't think of any other way to actually attack. It's not new. It's the way he's always attacked for 6,000 or so years or however long it's been. The enemy attacks in relationships. And then he tries to get us to turn on each other. And if we can turn on each other, eventually we're going to turn on God because we wallow in the guilt, we wallow in the shame, and we think if relationships here are hurtful, then there's no right way that we could actually have a relationship with God Almighty. But the truth of all things, above all things, is that God actually loves you. And the God who loves you desires to actually be with you. And this is what we have to focus on at Christmas time. What John has proclaimed here, that we would have the opportunity to be adopted by God Almighty and then our sins to actually be forgiven. And whenever we think about Christmas, we always think that Christmas is about us being able to go to heaven. Jesus came so that we could go to heaven. No, 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 no. That is the last piece of it. But I'm not, I'm not living life today waiting on just being able to go to heaven. I'm living life today with a God who loves me and is involved in the intimate details of my life. And that is how God wants every single one of us to live. Not living, thinking Christmas was only about heaven. That is a piece of it for the eternity. But living the Christmas story of the adoption that God has given to us, that he came to take away the sins of the world every single minute of every single day of our life. Christmas is about much more than, than, than heaven. It is about here and right now. God in the flesh to dwell with us, to be with us, and be involved in every single detail of our life. The arrival of Jesus that we celebrate in the Christmas story is as much about here today as it is about heaven. God wants to be involved in your life every single way that you will allow him to be. But the question is, 
would you allow him to be? Would you allow him to be? In John chapter 1, verse 33, we read this passage of Scripture. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. I'd miss this until I read this this week. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is talking, and he says, I didn't know him. I did not know him. Now, amazingly, whenever John was, uh, John's mother was pregnant and Jesus' mother was pregnant, John leapt in his womb, <laughs> celebrating. He knew him then, but whenever he was born, he says he didn't know him. Except, except, look, the one who sent me to baptize me with water told me. God spoke to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was an, uh, was an amazing guy who had a specific mission and lived that out for God. But you know what? John the Baptist was no different than, than every single one of us. God is not a respecter of persons. And if God spoke to John the Baptist, then God can speak to you. God told John the Baptist who Jesus was. He revealed it to him. And you know what? I believe that God has been revealing himself to you as well. God has been showing you who he is. God has been showing you what it means to receive this privilege opportunity to be adopted by him. God has given the opportunity and revealed in that uh, extension or that invitation what it means to actually receive forgiveness of sins and to walk in this amazing relationship that God has. God speaks to us. It's just like the song says. The old hymn says, and he walks with me and he talks with me. That wasn't just in the Garden of Eden, but that can be true for every single one of us today. It was true in the Garden of Eden. It was true in the life of John the Baptist. It was true in the apostles' lives. We saw it as we studied through the book of Acts, and that continues even today. If you will receive the gift of the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. But I want to put this passage back up there. Because another thing, as I, as I studied this passage this week, another thing that just blew my mind that stood out to me that I had missed before in reading this passage. John 1.33, and I myself did not know him. John the Baptist says that. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. God spoke this. This is what God said to John the Baptist. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So whenever we think about, I want to, uh, I'm going to take this down, and, but I want to put this back up there because I want to talk about it for a minute, and we're going to come back to verse 33. Whenever we think of Jesus' baptism, what we actually think about is the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And we actually think about this baptism in that way. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And then in that, we end the story and we think, okay, this is how Jesus was baptized. The Holy Spirit descended on him at his baptism, and that was it. And then Jesus went about, and he had launched his earthly ministry. But I want you to catch what God actually said to John the Baptist that John the disciple actually recorded. Read this last part with me. 
The man on whom you see the Spirit come down, that's the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove at his baptism. But he didn't end it there. He said, and remain. So whenever I had envisioned John's baptism of Jesus, I thought, okay, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. He come up out of the water. There was the Holy Spirit. He was gone, and he went about his life. But God said, the Holy Spirit remained on Jesus. Listen, here is the first part of the Scripture that someone, uh, uh, someone in the flesh has been baptized with the Holy Spirit, been filled with the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus. God moved into Jesus in the flesh in this moment, and it remained in Jesus. And so then when you think about Jesus, how was Jesus in the flesh able to live a perfect life? Well, it's because here in John chapter 1, verse 33, God had told John the Baptist that the Holy Spirit was going to descend on him like a dove and then remain in Jesus. And then the flesh was overridden by the Spirit for the rest of Jesus' life. And it was all because of this opportunity that Jesus had come to give to every single one of us. The opportunity to be able to overcome sin right here in the flesh. And so what God has given to us, the power of adoption, the forgiveness of sins, and then the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And right here in the beginning of the book of John, God has laid out through the uh, anointing of the Holy Spirit the gifts that God came to give to every single one of us. The adoption, the forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so this is how we know through the infilling of the Holy Spirit that the arrival of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas is not only about heaven, but it's about the here and now. Because recorded in this first gospel of, or this first chapter of the Gospel of John, we actually see the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus and actually remaining in Him. And then we fast forward and look at what the apostles had actually shared. The very pinnacle of the teaching of the New Testament, we get to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and Paul says this, don't get drunk with wine, which, which leads to a little bit of sin, you could say. Don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Well, why do we need to be filled with the Spirit? Because in John chapter 1, verse 33, we see the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus and actually remaining in him. Why was that important? Because the flesh that God wrapped himself was in conflict with God who was inside of Jesus. And if Jesus needed the presence of the Holy Spirit, then my goodness, we need the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. God came to be with you. He adopted you to make that possible. And then he said, we've got a sin problem that we need to deal with. And he said, I'll wash away and make the payment for your sins. But then I'm not just going to leave you out here adopted, sins forgiven, with no power in your life. But I'm going to come and give you my spirit and move inside of you so that the power of God rests with every single one of us. Listen, this is the gift of Christmas that God has given to each and every one of us. 
Not that we would live powerless lives, beating ourselves up over and over and over. But because of that statement that God loves us, we can live life victorious in the right here and right now because God loves you. And a lot of people, a lot of people, and I don't want to speak bad of anybody at all. Because people can interpret the scriptures differently, and sometimes it's just a matter of a difference of opinion. A lot of people get scared when you talk about the infilling of the Holy Spirit because what I think are some bad teachings about the Holy Spirit. Whenever you look at Jesus being baptized and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, there wasn't anything weird that happened to Jesus. The Holy Spirit descended upon him and remained with him forever the rest of his life here in the flesh. And God used Jesus Christ In some amazing ways, yes, he was God, but yes, there was that flesh element in that Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% flesh, and the Holy Spirit was there to guard and crucify that flesh in the same way that we need that in our own lives. The opportunity for every single one of us this Christmas is to begin a fresh and anew as the adopted sons and daughters of God Almighty who have had their sins forgiven but now completely filled with the Holy Spirit so that the flesh has been crucified. It takes a back seat and God lives in us victorious through the Holy Spirit. So have you received these gifts that God has given to you? Maybe you don't feel like a son or daughter. Maybe you feel like you don't have any privileges. God died for you to adopt you, to bring you in as his own. So that when you repent, he forgives and forgets completely about your sins. But listen, he loves you so much, he doesn't leave you there. He wants to fill you with the Spirit in the same way that Jesus was at his baptism. He wants to fill you with his Spirit so that you can truly experience the promise of God that he would be with, with, with us. Have you followed through these gifts and received them the way that God intended that we've looked at here today in John chapter 1? If not, I want to encourage you as we stand and sing in just a moment to reflect on these and receive these gifts that God has given to you because God loves you. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.